0: podcast I'm Abdullah and with me is you want to introduce yourself
1: sure this is Mick Wingard, voice actor
0: yeah so uh it's kind of weird because I usually just recorded an episode not to uh, on Thursday and I'm recording this on Saturday so if I sound a little uh, out of it I apologize but I'm not used to doing back-to-back episodes but you know, scheduling conflicts and whatnot but Anywho, uh, my next guest is uh, known for being Jack Black, but
1: cheaper. (laughs) Some, some could say that.
0: (sighs) Yeah, because you are, you're uh, the voice of Poe on all the projects that aren't the movies,
1: correct? That's correct. Yep, that's me
0: and you were recently the well I say recently but it was a year ago but you know <laughs> recently for me is I just found it out on IMDb so it's recent to me uh the voice of Slappy and Goosebumps too
1: That's correct
0: So That is correct so, so would you take me to uh what's it like being Jack Black on but on a cheaper but on a cheaper scale for you
1: <laughs> Well you know being the poor man's jack black has its privileges i have to say uh it's actually not a bad gig it's it's one of the best gigs i could i could hope for um it's uh it's really fun in fact you know it's i wish i could say there was some sort of like secret you know illuminati process of once you're in you're always in kind of a thing but there's no secret handshake there's no secret society uh to being a voice match for somebody there are some gigs i don't get um and it's only been recently that I've gotten anything beyond uh, voice matching for the character of Poe for DreamWorks. Um, Slappy was like the first time I'd, I'd been in a feature film doing uh, doing a voice that Jack originally created. Um, now, having said that, I think, you know, it's a great gig. And I, and, and I can honestly say while I have not met, met Jack Black yet, uh, he is aware of who I am. And, uh, we have some mutual friends in common. And so, uh, he likes my work. He thinks I sound just like him, uh, from everything I could tell. And that's, that's the best review I could get.
0: I mean, you know, cause, cause I say this because not a lot of people in voiceover are known for being like perfect voice matches, but you're like the exception, which is kind of weird.
1: Well, uh thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I have the privilege of knowing a couple of different voice actors who are almost indistinguishable from some of the talent they that they uh, voice match. If you ever hear anything with King Julian in it and it's Danny Jacobs, that is it to my ear almost indistinguishable from the Sasha Baron Cohen version from uh, the Madagascar franchise. Um, I think if you hear uh, Fred Tattashore as Jeff Bridges, you'd be hard pressed to, to tell the difference. And uh, Nolan North is Christopher Walken. Uh, Chris, I, from what I understand, you know, leaves all of his ADR, all of his, all of his pickups, all of his film pickups to Nolan because the match is so good. Uh so I think I'm in some rarefied air to your point but uh but I'm in good company for sure.
0: Yeah I mean you mentioned that you know sometimes you know they get voice actors in the business to come in and do like some ADR stuff for trailers and I know uh David Kay, who's who was who has who was a guest on the show not too long ago. Oh excellent. Uh, Said that he did some stuff for uh, I think Patrick Stewart and Liam Neeson. Mm so there you go. <laughs> it it happens. So if
1: you watch it's a tra- sure
0: if, if you watch a trailer and it's and it has like a line that's not in the movie, chances are it was ADR'd in by someone else.
1: That's the truth. What uh what really is mind-blowing is um that you know you get big budget budget productions. Big budget budget productions uh will have all kinds of you know various things going on on set, so they will come back and and literally dub 99, if not 100 percent of the lines. And in those situations where you've got celebrity talent, especially any number of the young celebrity talent that's you know on the up and up and coming trend and you know the hot Hollywood list, uh, people that you wouldn't think have distinguishable voices—not the Patrick Stewarts or the Liam Neesons or the Chris Walkins—but like the you know the, um, the the everyday young actors, and they're always looking for voice matches because sometimes these actors are available for their on set work, but but have conflicts when it comes to coming and laying down their dialogue again. So I know actors who have been in big budget movies dubbing the leads in some of these films, um, and you'd never know. I mean, you you would literally never know it was not the lead actor because every line is done or 98% of the lines are done by the voice match. So that may as well just be the performance. Um, and again, that happens on, you know, the big blockbuster movies and, and everything else alike.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, because, you know, budget reasons and they're not gonna, you know, studios aren't going to spend X amount of dollars to get someone to come in and dub over like two minutes worth of lines, you know?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: So, so that's a process that I think that's really interesting that not a lot of people know about when it comes to voiceover, but I but I find it interesting, that's why I bring it up.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And and is it like weird having people come up to you and, and uh and, and and say you do like such a great Jack Black that they don't don't know that, that they don't know there was someone else. They actually thought it was Jack at first?
1: It's actually one of my favorite things. Um when I say that I voice match Jack Black, uh, people don't realize that uh, unless they've worked with me or they know me by my reputation. But when I'm encountering somebody that I'm working with for the first time or isn't aware of my work, uh, I'll say, "Oh yeah, I started doing Poe about 10 years ago for DreamWorks, and I'm a voice match for Jack Black." And like, "Oh really? That's that's fascinating." And then I just start doing it. I start talking like Jack, like this, and I just you know do the whole facial thing that comes with it, and just you know, throw it all thick like right on there, and I I layer the jack sauce on there. And the best thing is to get their reaction out. They're like, "Whoa! What the heck? Oh my gosh!" And, uh, and that's always that's always the blast. Um, you know, there are also times I think people who are familiar with my work will put me on the spot and ask me to to do jack on the fly, and that's okay. That's fun too.
0: And you also do Iron Man for the Marvel stuff.
1: It's true. I do a Robert Robert Downey Jr. inspired Iron Man for the animated universe. And when I'm doing that particular voice, it's, you know, like when I'm doing Jack, it's closer to my own. I just articulate differently and I pick up words differently because that's how he does it.
0: Yeah, because he has a lot of like pauses in, in his in his um inflection. If you watch his movies uh, close enough and pay attention to, to the dialogue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of weird, like watching, because you came in later in the later seasons. Because first it was Adrian. I cannot pronounce his last name. I'm sorry. pazdar Yeah, a- Adrian Pazdar. and he got replaced due to other conflicts that he had that he couldn't. uh he couldn't do so i'm kind of wondering what was that like for you uh, coming in late late into the game
1: wow it was it was a huge honor because uh what happened i think and again i don't know all of the ins and outs so i don't want to talk out of school in terms of you know what worked out for adrian or but or didn't work out but uh here's what happened from my perspective there was uh there was a project coming through that the talent agencies in town got for Marvel superheroes Frost Fight, which was going to be you know kind of a younger kids adventure adventure ninety minute direct to video Christmas movie and uh, totally animated and the auditions came through for that for a couple of parts but one of which was Iron Man and uh, I had heard Adrian do his version of Iron Man uh, specifically in uh, Lego Marvel superheroes video game the first one and i I mean I, i think he does a great job it's but it's definitely him and i'm a huge fan of robert downey jr as iron man i i you know to be bluntly honest and i've said this in other interviews other places like i wasn't really all that compelled by iron man growing up but when that 2008 film hit i think he just brought such a life and understanding to the part of tony stark and the writing was good and the performance the performances were you know out of this world that i became a huge fan I'm, i mean uh all all deferences to Avengers Endgame aside, I would have watched that character totter out at 80 years old to get in that tin can suit. Uh, I was, I'd pay good American money to see that. Um, because I just thought he, his performance was phenomenal as that character. So, uh, so when I got the audition, I thought, you know, there's no, there's no better, more consummate Iron Man than, than Robert Downey Jr. So when I, I approached the sides, I wanted to throw in some of that flair and, I wasn't going specifically for a voice match, but what we in the industry might call a feel alike. So it feels like the same person. It may not sound exactly like the same person, but there's some certain personality traits that are, that are the same across mediums or across media, I should say. Um, and the attitude is the same and the point of view is the same. And uh, I caught somebody's ear at Marvel and did Frostfight. And before I knew it, there was another project that, uh, I guess Adrian was unavailable for because they asked me if I'd do a, a made for TV special Lego Marvel, uh, short and I was involved with that. And then, uh, next thing I know, I'm getting a call saying we want you to come in on Avengers Assemble, a season four and, uh, portray Tony Stark Iron Man. And I was over the moon. There's no better feeling, of course, than than when you're an animation talent than booking a series. It means regular work, supporting the family, but it also means, you know, you get to play every week. And in in my fortunate situation, um both the Frostfight gig and the Avengers Assemble gig, uh, were all done in group records. So I got to be in the room with Roger Craig Smith and with, um, you know, Travis Willingham and Laura, Laura Bailey and Troy Baker and all the folks who are doing the Avengers cast right now. And, and we just got to have a great time bringing animated characters to life. It was really fun. Uh, so then, you know, Black Panther's Quest came along, uh, season five. And I believe, I mean, as far as I know, that's the final season of Avengers Assemble. Uh, but Disney's coming up with streaming. Content and you never know where it's going to go from here. So, um, you know, you can keep your fingers crossed. There's uh, there's no word on the street as to what what the future of the Marvel animated universe is going to be. I know that with Marvel Rising, I've done a couple of cameos as Tony Stark in that universe, which has been fun. Um, the Heart of Iron short that was produced, um, which I think is also available on Disney streaming, um, and some other projects that are some Marvel Rising stuff. I did a motion comic centered on the character of Quake as Tony Stark. Um, just some really fun uh opportunities to to stick around. That's the that's the best part, Abdella, of playing uh Tony Stark is he's like the coolest cat in in the Marvel universe. So writers like to add him for a little pepper and a little spice here and there. So uh, I have the probably the highest cameo ratio right now of of my other peers because uh again, because it's you know, it's fun to throw Tony into Marvel Spider-Man or into Ironheart or into, you know, a SHIELD, uh an agents of shield kind of a thing. Um because he's just so fun to write. So that's uh that's a feather in my cap, I think, that I get to I get to or rather a card in my hand that I get to play every once in a while. That maybe I wouldn't if I was, you know, Captain America or if I was, you know, Thor. Um But thankfully I get to be Tony Stark and he's the coolest kid in school.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, every, everyone, yeah, I don't think a lot of people grew up wanting to be like Captain America or something like that because he's kind of, you know, the patriotic boy scout. And I don't, and, uh, I think a lot of people want to be either like Hulk. I remember growing up because everyone was like, Oh, Hulk is really cool. You know, he's powerful. He's strong, you know. Yeah, Um, And I remember my cousin being a huge Iron Man fan back in the day because he's like, oh, he looked cool. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Now, I will say, like I said, I I wasn't a huge Iron Man fan. I was kind of meh on Iron Man. But having said that, I did have a couple of comics. Mm -hmm. I did have some collectible Iron Man toys because who doesn't love a dude in a giant suit of armor that can fire lasers and fly? I mean, that's pretty awesome.
0: And I think I kind of fell in love with Avengers after, you know, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That show kind of was just such a love letter to 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 the Kirby and and uh, and Lee era comics that I just sure. yeah, God, I wish they'd bring that back so badly.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one that I've heard. I've I've heard a couple of different people. I can't think of anybody's name off the top of my head, but it, there's. There's several people who have that sentiment that Earth's Mightiest Heroes was a great show and they wish they'd bring it back. Little trivia point for you. Um, Eric Loomis played Iron Man in Earth's Mightiest Heroes. And Eric was actually also a voice match for Poe around the time of the first film, the first Kung Fu Panda film.
0: Yeah, because actually someone pointed out like regarding that series, he's like, yeah, he. Ca- I know that they cast him because he's, he sounds like uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr., But he kind of sounds more like Jack Black when you really listen to his voice. (laughs) So, and I could not unhear that after, after listening to that and going back to that show. Yep. So, but no, I mean, I mentioned that because, you know, I'm a huge uh, comic book guy and, and I just love, and I just love any animated interpretation because, you know, they go where the movies don't. And Avengers, an Avengers assemble has kind of, has kind of gone through a weird iteration with mm-hmm. the past season because the past season was was very Black Panther focused, and the Avengers kind of felt like secondary characters. But you know, it is what it is. You got to follow the money, and Black Panther the movie was huge at the time, and there you go.
1: Well, I think you know. We did a lot of like cast group, uh, like live tweets and stuff during the the mid-season finale and the season finale of the show and uh, knowing the writing team that was involved with that. I mean, the storytelling in the Black Panther's Quest, I think is top notch. Uh, I will say you're, you're correct. Like it is Avengers by way of Black Panther. So they feel more secondary to that degree. I, I absolutely. Agree with you. Uh, at the same time, I thought that the way that they handled the Black Panther storyline and, and the scope of the story that they told was, was pretty, was pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, I would love to see, seen that launch into its own series from there, but I'm talking as a fan, not as an insider. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what Marvel's planning with that property, but as somebody who worked on the Avengers season of the Black Panther's Quest, I, I would love to see that team that writing team come together and, and pull together a Black Panther centric show or a Shuri centric show. That would be incredible. Cause, Cause I think,
0: cause I think just... one of the biggest highlights for the show for me was James's performance as Black Panther.
1: Oh my he God. He was
0: so good in that show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. James Mathis the third, big props to you, James, if you're listening, uh, is one of my favorite voice actors to perform with and to watch perform because he's just so good.
0: Yeah. Plus, uh, you know, David Kay was on and I asked him what it was like working with, uh, Stanley when he came in to, to record his lines and he was like over the moon. He was like, Oh my God, Stanley. He was like a little yeah, kid I, again.
1: <laughs> I gotta say, I, I was not, uh, privileged enough to be in there, uh, in, in that session with Stan. Um, but I can only imagine, I mean, that guy, he is responsible for so many of us who are big kids at heart and who haven't stopped dreaming and you know and haven't stopped living in that 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 world where anything is possible and heroes really do exist. We owe it all this, not all, but a lot of it to Stan Lee.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, because he's kind of he, sadly, he was the last line of you know the last uh, connection between the 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 mainstream and the and the comics scene you know he was the one of the few people to bridge the gap between like uh, being a, uh, being appealing to to a wider audience with comic books because i don 't think any of the other creators can do that
1: yeah, I think he 's also really one of the last and and i don 't know if he that he is the last but he it felt like Stan was one of the last or at least the last significant Tie to the golden age of comics. Cause you know, he got his start as what a, an errand boy for timely comics, uh, back in the forties. Um, and, and then stuck, stuck with it as it became Marvel and then was editor in chief and so on and so forth. Literally worked his way up, uh, from, from like errand boy or stock boy to head of the company. And, and so he was, he was one of the few people. Uh, who in 2019 could still reach back and say, I was there in the golden, in the golden age. Uh, lo- we still have a lot of silver age creators around people who are doing comics in the sixties, uh, into the early seventies. Um, some bronze, of course we have a lot of bronze age creators. We have a lot of creators who can go back to the eighties and nineties and whatnot. But I think Stan was, was one of the few folks of that greatest generation who was still around. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, to lose, to lose somebody like that is, is a tremendous loss, not just for what Stan was bringing to the table and what he allowed all of us to do and, and what we love him for. Uh, but also because, I mean, he just, it just marks like the last of a generation. And now his legacy is, is here to live on, but, but that whole golden era is altogether gone.
0: Yeah. And it's sad cause you know, cause yeah, I mean, I know Jim Starlin was in end game, but how many people actually know that,
1: you know? Yeah, well, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, you know, it, it sucks, but I'm glad, I'm glad you could be part of his, you know, be, be part of of, uh, of, uh, of a franchise that he helped create and is now a major success.
1: Yeah. I, I can't tell you how honored I am to, to be part of it. Um,
0: so, so moving on, how did, yeah. how did you get involved with Goosebumps too?
1: That one was, um, I wish, man. Abdullah, I wish I had a really good story for you, like a, another, like, in Illuminati, I knew the secret handshake, here's how it happened, I had dinner with so-and-so. I could make up a story for you if you'd like. But the truth of the matter is that, uh, they were looking for somebody to cover Slappy, uh, because Jack was busy working on another film at the time. And, um and the interesting thing about Goosebumps is that the performance of the, of the, Puppet itself was all, I mean, some of it is CGI, but most of it is, is practical effects. And it was puppeteered by a guy who you can hear all over the internet in official, in official capacity, uh, you know, as, as the character of Slappy, you know, as they were doing little promotional videos on Instagram and that kind of stuff around the Halloween time, uh, as well as, you know, just other kinds of audience engagement marketing stuff. His name's Avery. And he's a phenomenal puppeteer and created a really awesome voice for this character. Um, however, because they replaced Avery it, Avery's voice in the first film with Jack to make it feel more like Slappy was a descendant of R.L. Stein's brain and RL was being played by Jack, uh, it just made the character that much closer to to uh, those two characters closer to each other. They needed somebody to, for continuity reasons, to come in and and do that because Jack wasn't available. Thankfully, I was able to audition it. uh, Got a uh, sample for the voice match. Went in, auditioned my role, and sat back and just waited. And you know, went on with went on with the rest of my career at the time. And and then all of a sudden, I got a call from my agent. Hey, they want you in as Slappy. Lo and behold. I thought it was going to be like the first film and Slappy had maybe one or two scenes, maybe a load of, I don't know, 20 lines or less, um, like he did in goosebumps one. Um, but turns out he's the major villain of the whole film. And, and here I am getting to play, getting to play the, the, the heavy in, in a, in a family Halloween film. And that's so fun, um, And it was an interesting process because it was like dubbing, but I wasn't dubbing for Jack. I was actually dubbing for Avery because they couldn't use his audio. Uh, even though his performance was, you know, spectacular, the stuff he did was all live on set with the other actors and it was captured then, but they couldn't use it again because they needed it to sound like Jack Black as R.L. Stein. So, um, so, you know, that's where they bring in a guy like me to come in and do it. And I got to be part of the cast and at the big premiere, I got to, you know, take photos with everybody and say, Hey, I'm the voice of slappy in the film. And so nice to meet you. I got to meet Ken Jong. I got to meet Jeremy. um or, Yeah. Jeremy Taylor, Jeremy Ray Taylor. Uh I got to meet. Uh, oh, who else was there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's, you know, you can pick up where you left off. Sorry about that.
1: <laughs> That's all right. I was just saying that uh, I got to go to the premiere and uh, hobnob with the actual on-camera crew like Ken Jeong and Jeremy Ray Taylor and – excuse me, Jeremy Ray Taylor uh, and Khalil Harris. And I got to meet Wendy McLendon Covey. It was just super cool for a voice actor like me where I'm usually either in the booth with other voice actors who are always a big deal to me but may not be to the general public uh, or I'm by myself um, – you know, it was a huge deal to be able to to meet some of these on camera talent and um, and be a part of the project with them.
0: Yeah, um, especially considering like most uh, most big budget movies hire like celebrities instead of voice actors, which you know kind of bothers me. And you know, but you know, it is what it is. I understand why they do that, but you know, at the end of the day, are the kids going to care that that so that this major celebrity is the star? I don't think they do.
1: well, here i I would tend to agree with you. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, it certainly didn't matter to me that there were anybody famous doing the cartoons that I watched or that were in the movies that i that I cared about um, you know, the kids' movies that I watched, uh, as long as the movies were good and the performances were compelling and, and they captured my attention, that was what was important to me. I will say, however, and I was just having this discussion with another industry pro, uh, we were having lunch and talking about our business and, and there really is, there really is something to be said, uh, for the fact that for whatever reason, it does help put butts in seats. I mean, if it didn't, if, if the, if studios didn't make money on kids fair or animated features, or even at this point, even animated television shows, if they didn't make money on those things, when they involved celebrity talent, uh, in a, in a, in a way that was noticeable above, you know, casting us blue collar types, uh, then they wouldn't do it. But they do continue to do it and it's, it's not just ego stroking. I'm, I'm confident that, uh, that these studios, cause they're businesses, they're not into throwing good money after bad. So for whatever reason, it does put butts in seats and brings in the revenue and, and increases the revenue for the studio. Um, so I don't think that the trend is going to go anywhere anytime soon.
0: I, mean, I, I don't have anything against like celebrities coming into voice act because again I'd be a major hypocrite if if I did because I grew up with guys like Clancy Brown and and Mark Hamill doing voices on on DC shows and they are and, and they're celebrities and and Tim Curry is another one I grew up with and he was on tons of cartoons. It's just I don't like the fact that they, that they put the marketing above all the, above the quality of the film.
1: Ah, like, uh,
0: yes. It's like, yeah, I know who's in it, but is the movie any good, you know?
1: I hear what you're saying.
0: And that's kind of what bothers me. I mean, that's kind of the, the discussion. And plus, it, it is insulting that um, the Scooby-Doo cast weren't even, like, given a call to, to, to reprise their roles for the upcoming movie. They were just, like, replaced like like that.
1: I think there's a lot of fan reaction like that out there that you're expressing. I think a lot of fans of, of uh, the voice acting community at large, but also specifically of Scooby-Doo as a property, um, have expressed a lot of the same things. I, I personally don't have um, as strong an opinion on it, but I have heard all over the Twitterverse and other social media just the outrage and, and I can understand it. I mean, if you think about it, Frank Welker, who's been doing Freddie Jones uh, recently, has been doing Freddie Jones since the beginning. So uh, you get a legend like Frank, somebody who's worked alongside the Dawes Butlers of the world and the late Mel Blanc and some of these other icons of of entertainment and has been doing this character for, you know, 60 years, uh, nigh under 60 years. Uh so I can understand that outrage.
0: I mean, he's, he was the only one who came back, and, I, and I, yeah, I, I kind of get why. But at the same time, it wouldn't have hurt to, to give you know the other the other cast a call and just tell them, hey, you know, would you be interested? You know, I mean, it doesn't have to. You know, they, I understand like voice actors get replaced more than James Bond actors, but at the same <laughs> at the same time, it's like you know, a call would be nice. You know,
1: <laughs> fair enough.
0: But um, I I just I just think that you know m- going on to my next question I just you know do you think we'll ever get to a point where, you know voice acting will just be uh, just will 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 be um, will be seen as something that's uh, the, that there's more to it than just using your voice, for 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 uh, a character.
1: I want to say yes, and I think that's based on a couple of things. Number one, voice voice acting is already seen differently than it was when I wanted to become a voice actor in the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, it, it, it is seen as its own career track for uh, certainly, um, but I don't know if it will. I don't think it'll ever garner the respect as its own craft, as it were, uh, the way that on-camera acting has. I think simply because there is something to be said for seeing somebody embody a performance. Um, and, and I think because we are such a visually oriented and fame-driven culture, because voice acting is, is not as fame-driven, you're not gonna see as, as as big of a turn on that. Uh, You're not going to see as big of a, um, an outpouring of respect over that. Um, Like, I don't, I don't see there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be a voice actors award uh, in the Academy Awards anytime soon. But what I will say is that through people like yourself, uh, other fans that, that have public presences on social media and the vast number of, of people who get it as a craft and get it as an art form uh, it's already having an incredible, it's already having a, an incredible breath of life that, that you'd never think it, it would have before. I mean, I was just thinking about this today. Um, the cartoons when I was, when I, that I was watching, I used to watch cause I'm a kid from kid of the eighties born in the early seventies and grew up in the late seventies, early eighties. So um, I, uh, the cartoons I watched, I mean, they were all just big, block group named credits. They didn't even say who played who. It was just voice cast. Or it would even just say voices. And it would just be two columns of names with no indicator. Um you know, I I watch things like Super Friends and, you know, uh He-Man and Smurfs and that whole era of Saturday morning cartoons fair. And And back then, you didn't know who those actors were, and those actors didn't particularly make it public knowledge that they were cartoon characters, because it was seen as less than. It was kids' work. It was kids' entertainment, and thankfully it paid pretty well, but it wasn't anything to write home about. It wasn't like you starred in a movie or you were the lead on a TV show. Or in that era, when it was still you know, viable, it's not even like you were a guest star on a TV show. Um, But now... Since the, the 90s renaissance of animated, um, animated material, kind of led by WB, uh, in, in the early 90s with Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, Batman, the animated series, uh, since that renaissance, people have become more and more aware of who's doing what voice. And, and that's changed the culture of voice acting forever. So I think if that trend continues, if, if fans continue to make much of their favorite performers, uh, by inviting them on their podcasts, uh, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> uh, by, uh, by giving them call outs on social media, by, you know, continuing to shoot them fan letters and do fan art of their characters online on DeviantArt and wherever, um, the more that happens, the more, Voice acting continues to, to claim its little corner of the spotlight. I think it's come into its own now. And now that it's come into its own, it's just how much, how much more spotlight are we able to give it? Um, and, and honestly, that is the one thing in terms of the celebrity involvement that raises the profile of voice acting as a craft is that when you get big name movie actors turning in performances on animated properties that are noteworthy, Right? I, and what I mean by noteworthy and much, much respect to, to, um, no, I probably shouldn't say that. I, I want to work in this industry. Uh, <laughs> let's just say that there have been some animated features that have, that have used some celebrities who were not particularly good at voice acting and the, the block, the box office revenue for those films showed it. I can't and won't name any by name, but, uh, but I think you can look on, you know, some listicle somewhere about the top grossing or least grossing, worst grossing animated features, and and see which celebs could pull it off and which ones couldn't. But but the over under is you get more high hope, high profile people into the business who can do the business, who do bring an added value, and and a high tide will raise all boats. Voice acting will again continue to come into its own. It'll get you know one more step farther away from the from the old days of when it was, you know, back alley work that, you know, you didn't you didn't necessarily want on your resume because you didn't want to be pegged as a as a kids as a kids entertainer. You wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. And, you know, I think we're already moving that way. And celebrity involvement helps.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it helps you know bring more profile, bring more people who who see who see voice acting as nothing more than you know kids stuff, like you said you know get and get you know take notice of it especially i think the biggest example is mark hamill i think if he had not been cast as a joker back in the 90s you know people wouldn't have given voice acting a second thought but because his performance was but because he was like a notable actor and and because he he's been doing that character for years now people took notice and they're like "Wait, wait wait a minute this is this is a this is a this is something we can we can work with this can be a career path for people who you know don't want to do on camera stuff sure and this
1: yeah be. i think i think mark's impact on the industry is is really hard to quantify just how how big it is
0: yeah because no one you know cuz cuz you know but i remember back in the day you know everyone was shocked that, that 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 you know Luke Skywalker was the joker but there you go <laughs> cuz it's like what? <laughs> that can't be right. him.
1: <laughs> right.
0: They must have gotten someone else to work for the for for cheaper but no that's that's him. You know? But what's
1: amazing is the flip side of that where Kevin Conroy who I believe was uh, a theater actor yeah. more than anything else uh, and getting cast as Batman he is still at least if you believe the internet, he is still people's favorite Batman. Of any of the cinematic versions, of any of, any of the television versions, like, people say there's only, a, there, you know, there was like a hashtag, like, the real Batman, or something like that, uh, for Kevin. So you, you get a situation where Kevin had a certain amount of notoriety within certain circles because of his acting, but now he's a worldwide phenomenon amongst animation connoisseurs. Um, even though he had, essentially come from obscurity at least on a worldwide stage perspective um and and that is super cool too to to see somebody like like a Kevin Conroy who's not Mark Hamill who didn't play Luke Skywalker who wasn't a global phenomenon already become the world's favorite Batman and
0: that's that's awesome (laughs) yeah that's that's another thing people don't realize about about voice acting is that it can open doors and 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 make you an icon amongst people who who, who like who like the stuff. <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot more dubbing for anime projects, and um, find it it's really fun. Um, as you may or may not know, it's a completely different pay structure from working in animation or interactive video gaming, and so it's um, it's not often sought after by actors at my at my level. But part of it is. It, it just, it's so much fun to be a part of. And it's, and it's a great way to connect with um, really committed fans. Uh, because as I've found in my experience of both watching uh, Japanese anime, as well as um, going to conventions and, and moving amidst um, circles of friends who are fans of anime, um, the fandom is real. There and very, very loyal. And it's been super cool to get, you know, an occasional, you know, I played some character on Boruto and I played this character on Puyo Puyo Tetris and I played this character in, uh, Asumatsu-san or I should say Mr. Otsumatsu, um, and, and on Ultraman now. And to, to get the people I'm actually getting fan letters from are not fan mailing me about playing Poe or playing Iron Man. But literally I got a fan a fan letter saying you played Shin Uchiha on, on Boruto and you did a great job. And I'm like, that is an anime fan right there. don't only know who's voicing their favorite, you know, I thankfully it was a villain. I like to, I like to play the villains every once in a while. And, uh, They, they not only know their favorite villains, but they know who's voicing them and then they find out how to contact them, uh, which is, which is really fun. Uh, so I've, I've really enjoyed that process and getting into that, that realm, not only because it's a different skill set in terms of, of dubbing, but also because the fans are incredible and, and the cultural touchstones you get to be a part of in somebody's life are significant.
0: And how was the and how was it walking into the dubbing experience for you?
1: It was really hard to begin with. I mean, I gotta say, um, I'm, a, I'm a member of a coalition right now called the Coalition of Dubbing Actors um, hashtag uh, Coda Unite uh, or hashtag Dub Love, I should say. Uh, it's at Coda Unite on Twitter, and um, and I have to say, I have to give a lot of respect to to that that area. of of my fellow voice actor brethren and sisters, of course, Um, it's a different skill. It's one thing to create a compelling voice and to um, create a, I shouldn't say a compelling voice. I'd never let somebody else get away with that. It's one (laughs) thing to create a compelling character that might have a unique voice. That's what I mean to say. But it's a whole other thing to do that while matching the lip flap of a pre-animated a uh, piece of footage and matching the performance intensity of another actor in a completely different culture while trying to make it mainstream for your culture. So it's a process of localization, uh, matching the performance, matching the animation itself in your performance and hitting all your cues word. Perfect. It is really hard Um Not in the U.S. market, but overseas, there's a, there's an Avengers show called, uh, Marvel Future Avengers, and it was done by Disney Tokyo in partnership with, uh, with an anime studio. And that's what I cut my dubbing teeth on. They brought me in as Iron Man, thankfully, because, you know, half the time the mask is on and you don't have to worry about lip flap. But that's where I cut my teeth, and now I can say I can match lip flap, it's not a big deal, I get called in for other things, I audition for other things, um, and, and I enjoy the process, but when I was, you know, I would lean on those, on those shots of Tony when he was dressed up as Iron Man and I didn't have to match that, those stinking lips, uh, because they're, they're just going to go. And if you don't have a syllable for every time that mouth opens and closes, uh, it's not going to line up. And if it doesn't line up, it doesn't look and sound right. right. So,
0: and, and it helps that, you know, you worked with a lot of actors who have uh, cut their teeth on with dubbing before they went on to Western animation.
1: Yes, that's true. That is very true. And I have very, some very good friends who have kind of walked alongside me in that process and made and made more friends um, through doing it. Um, but uh, I think it's I love I love doing uh, dubbing work. I love uh, specifically on anime, but I've done a few live action projects for Netflix as well. Uh, where they're translating or dubbing—I should say—dubbing uh, feature films from other countries or television series from other countries uh, for some of their content, and they hi- they need to hire a U.S. cast. And I've been a part of those as well. That's always that's always uh, fun because it's more mature themed. It's it's a little more adult. Uh, there's it's a lot less fantastic in terms of you know they're not witches and wizards and superheroes and you know and primordial demigods and things but they're they're cops and they're they're people and and it's just about recreating or or just giving a voice in your language to the character as has been created already by by an actor from another country and that's that's a fun process too i have to say
0: i'd imagine that being a very hard process considering you know you're you're iron man one day and then you're like a Gritty cop in in a in a in a Japanese series. The next,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I think one one day I had I want to say I had like two sessions back to back. No, it was two. It was over two days. Like one day I went in and uh, dubbed some really like ultra violent stuff for baki which is on Netflix, and that's an anime. That's a uh, Japanese anime, and it's one of those, you know, the guys all look like they're completely roided out, and they're like all super strength, and you know, ripping veins, and everything like that, uh, so I did, you know, some character for Baki, or I think it was a general that had a cigar in his mouth, so I did something like this, and then the next day, I was like the the grieving father of a girl who'd gone missing in Italy and, uh, and the daughter and the father were both originally, like, from Slovakia, so I had to do this, like, Slovak accent, and it was much smaller because, you know, we're doing on cam, we're just matching on-camera performance, so everything's tiny, tiny, but doing this, some, you know, something like this to match, uh, and then it becomes a little bit, you know, uh a little bit schizophrenic, <laughs> you know, one day you're... You're roided out and raging, and the next day you're you're grieving over your missing daughter. It's uh, you know, it's a wild life we live, us actors.
0: And how is and how is it like doing um, accents?
1: Accents. It's been my experience that you come at accents a couple of different ways, um, and the folks that I've found that are the best at doing accent and dialect work, I don't know that I would. Con- Consider myself one of the best. I can hold my own when I need to, but, um, but accents, you, you come by one of two ways. You either, you either learn them by ear, which is you, you listen and repeat. You listen and make that sound back to, you know, and recreate. Uh, or you study phonetically how the phonemes are, are created in each dialect of the English language. Um, and I, I, I don't teach how to do, I'm a voice actor and a coach as well, a voice acting coach, but I, I've never taught how to do dialects because I've, I've always just been a mimic. I've always just done them by ear and it's kind of hard to teach how to hear and repeat back. It's one of those things that I, I do it so naturally. I don't know how to codify it for somebody. Whereas somebody who's learned Accents a more mechanical way from from studying the the language itself and how to shape the mouth and you know what what diphthongs and of, of the vowels you're going to change and so on and so forth. Somebody who's done that makes a really good dialect coach. Um, and I, I would love to take to take more. I remember uh, coming out of studio one day. And Steve Bloom was in the waiting room. I think he was waiting to go in on the same project, but they were taking us like one at a time or something. And Steve had just finished doing a dialect class here in the Los Angeles area. And Steve's no slouch. I mean, Steve can do all kinds of awesome dialects, but he's like, yeah, I just felt like I wanted to get sharper and more, more accurate on what I was doing. And he just raved about how awesome it was to take a dialect class uh, with the teacher who I cannot think of now at the, the top of my head, but um, but the point remains, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing that as well. Just sharpening and keeping it, keeping it up to date because it is a, it is a global community now, and and English is a, is a fairly universal language, um, and the ability to, to portray someone from another locality or region speaking English can be a real asset if you do it well.
0: Because that's another thing I found real interesting is that, you know, uh, uh, most uh, live action stuff they cast like Australians to play Americans, and in in, in animation they cast Americans to play other other nationalities.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. What's re- it's really really odd. Uh, yeah, I don't know why that is. I I've, I've met several Aussies with really good American accents. Uh, and you know, you grow up with a certain dialect, you grow up with your home dialect, and you don't think you have an accent, you think this is the way words should sound. It's everybody else who's wrong. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I've heard I mean, my mind was was totally changed. Uh, about that when I first came to Los Angeles about 14 years ago, and I heard people from from places that I consider having accents uh, do American accents and went, oh, you really can make yourself, you can put on an American. You can totally put on an American accent. There are ways that we speak that can be emulated, just like an American would emulate a British accent or an Australian accent or a Kiwi accent, Uh you know, or Mongolian, or Slavic, or whatever. Like just like I would modulate to sound like I'm from a country other than my own. Somebody else does the same thing for American, and it and it really helped me, you know, keep things in perspective.
0: Yeah, because it's it's weird because you know a lot of people I know you know say I have an American accent and and it just kind of and I just don't think it I just don't think of it as an American accent because I grew up watching a lot of. American shows, and I just assumed everyone who spoke English talked like this, so <laughs> I just kind of picked that up. I was media, Abdullah. <laughs> I just thought, hey, you know, that's that's how they talk, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We're all Americans now.
0: No, I mean, and it's not just me, because I, I remember uh, recently going into a comic book, bu- uh, not on a comic book shop a uh, a pop culture store looking for stuff to mm-hmm. buy looking for stuff to buy and two uh women uh, came in and, and they were and they were like you know as arab as, as 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 the next uh woman that you that you would meet but they when they spoke they spoke in American accents and i'm like, wow <laughs> okay
1: wow. <laughs> wow so I'm not the only one not now yeah, of course not of course not. <laughs> fascinating and they say imperialism is dead <laughs> <laughs> because it's that's ditch, because, my friend
0: because that's how we that's that's another thing that's another I think that's another uh, positive to watching a foreign a, a foreign a foreign, um, a foreign uh, uh, product in its native language is that you you get a sense of how of how people talk in in a, in a tongue that's not that's not native to yours right and I just I just find that interesting so
1: it is and it and, you know and I think there are some of us who are born natural born mimics and, and are and are more facile at doing that you know it comes easier to us is what I mean um, but one can still one can still pick up like you know, regardless of whether you consider yourself uh, a natural born mimic or somebody who's good at doing uh, dialects, you certainly have picked up the American dialect just as those women did. So I think it's, it's also common to the human experience at some level.
0: And it's not just me. I've talked to like, uh, you know, cause we recently have had comic book conventions here where I've met people like uh, Nolan North and, and Fred and, yeah, and, and most of the people I've talked to at those things, Speak in American accents.
1: So. Yes, that's true. <laughs> it's true.
0: And and it, and it's kind of weird because when I talked to Fred and and because um, I remember going to San Diego Comic Con 2009, and I remember seeing him at a panel. And and I and the first thing I said to him was, you know, do you remember doing that panel? He's like, and and he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, you guess who was in the audience? Me. And and, and his eyes just lit up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Fred is one of my favorite people in the world. He is not only a talented voice actor, but he is also just one of the most genuine, genuinely giving human beings I've ever met. He's just a gentle soul, and uh, which is awesome because, you know, he plays a big green rage monster. But uh, but he is so – he is such an incredible human being. I consider him a dear friend.
0: I know. He's he's a total sweetheart, and I got nothing bad to say about him, which is weird. <laughs> ah. uh moving on um do do you worry that because you're a, a you know because you're a good mimic that that mo- that most casting uh, directors would underestimate your your other talents
1: um I think that's always a a constant concern at, at any level of your career you don't you never want to be um pigeonholed into doing one thing as it were I will say though that the casting directors I've worked with um, are aware of the different things that I can do. It's, I mean, it's. There are several shows that I were completely out of my, you know, my wheelhouse. And I don't mean I do stuff that I shouldn't be doing. Meaning, you know, or doing voices that I don't sound credible on. What I just mean is, if everyone knows me as Jack Black, there may not be a single Jack Black character on the show, but I get brought in to do utility. Uh, a lot of the stuff I've done on Elena of Avalor, on Sophia the First, um, stuff that I've done. Uh, for Vault the Wonder Deer, which again is airing overseas. Stuff I've done for, um, for Marvel, uh, even. I mean, one episode I was doing, um, what is his name? He was, uh, big. They wanted a big Austrian accent. What is his name? It's, uh, the, uh, uh, oh, darn it. What is, he's a Captain America villain. Uh, Dr. Dr. Faust. Felix, Faust. Faust. Felix Faust. Faust. Felix Faust. Yeah. So I was doing Felix I, I thought it was Felix Faust.
0: No no no, Felix Faust is uh, the DC character, Faustus, I think.
1: Oh yes, right, of but. course, Faust, Dr. Faustus. Yes. I was doing Dr. Faustus and uh you know that was completely not Iron Man, completely not Jack Black, completely not anything except the big Austrian accents and being a villain. So uh it is a concern, but honestly, as long as Jack keeps working <laughs> Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Um, I, I'm happy to. I'm happy to to make my career however I can. Um, one of the great things I, I was able to take uh, advantage of last year was uh, putting together my own podcast. I'm a huge fan of radio dramas and. In putting together that podcast, is a scripted podcast. It's called The Hidden Frequencies. Uh, there are 10 episodes in season one. We're um, in the writing phase for season two right now. And hopefully by uh, midsummer, we'll be able to start producing some of those episodes of season two. But it put me in the creator's chair. And that really let me understand the, the value and the merit of of doing something outside of that wheelhouse that I was just talking about, you know, just being able to, to play a role, to do something that not only wasn't a voice match or a character I, you know, was used to playing, but also to, to do a, to do a completely different role in the industry that I never, that I've ever done. I've never been an executive producer or showrunner on anything and to showrun my own podcast and have people like, um, you know, Christina V and Roger Craig Smith uh, again and James Mathis the 3rd and Daisy Lightfoot and um any number of working pros Melalee Lee um, come on the show and and get Fred was on the show Fred Tedashore Sissy Jones Josh Keaton just to have them come in and and do their thing for me, was was huge. It was a huge honor to and and to get to voice direct them doing that uh, was was really fun, and and I find that it's it's doing things like that. It is making one's own work, even if it is a passion project like that, like Hidden Frequencies is for me. Um, that's the com, by the way. Uh, even if it is a passion project, doing creating your own content is is really like the ultimate creative fulfillment and makes it easier to to face it when when you are looking at being pigeonholed. I think part of doing the dubbing for me too is to kind of break out of that pigeonhole to some extent. Uh you know I've played everything from a teenage kid on Boruto to uh you know a middle-aged ninja on Naruto to uh an alien that looks like a uh, a boiled shrimp on uh Ultraman to uh, again, the, the hard-faced general to, you know, any number of great, fun characters that are just outside of that, of that what I'm known for box. Uh, because I've, I've jumped into dubbing and, and haven't been too, uh, elitist or proud to say, hey, yeah, that is work I would take and that is work I would like to do. And that is a fan base I want to connect with.
0: Yeah because uh we we've had voice actors on the show and and they're like yeah I mean anime is great and all but it doesn't doesn't pay that much so I'm not I'm not doing it <laughs> so
1: yeah I I get that and and when it comes down to you know paying your bills or not paying your bills uh we all want to work that better contract um you know that's part of what is about that coalition of dubbing actors is about in in crude in excuse me improving working conditions and 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 whatnot across the board for dubbing all over the industry. Um, but there's also part of me that says if I have, if I'm between animated gigs right now and it's not taking anything away from me to go in there and, and do it, I may as well go do it because it's a good time and I get to play things I would never have played. I was on Sailor Moon for a couple of episodes and one of them I played like this young struggling artist and I, I did the whole thing like this. He, he was kind of a guy that has some very, very altruistic ways of looking at the world, and you know, I would never, I would never book that guy in in regular animation. I, I just don't skew that way. Yeah, I was just saying, I, yeah. I, I was, oh, it's all right. Uh, I was just saying that if I'm not working otherwise, uh, there's no, there's no harm in jumping into the booth and playing some of these characters that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten cast as. So.
0: And. And uh, as, and do you think that you know, doing dubbing has, has helped you become a better
1: actor? Yeah, because it's a specialized skill set. Uh, but again, beyond that, it, it also – a lot of – especially when you're looking at anime or you're looking at dubbing foreign television or foreign features, you're dealing in smaller performances. So you're not looking at doing cartoon characters. You're dealing in a much smaller, much more, more muted palette, and that, that stretches an actor – To play drama when so much of of animation is comedy driven, to play drama or to play you know terror or supernatural you know adult themed performances in anime or in you know television really does stretch someone. And I've I've found that it stretched me. That doesn't mean I'm you know I want to trade in everything i've got and just go do anime for a living it's more that i just value that part of it i value the part of it that brings that brings you know the challenge of the new skill set and the the ability to to do stuff that's outside of the comfort zone
0: and i I don't think a lot of people i've talked to you know um uh, think that think like that because you know they have that mindset of i'm I'm not trying to just dishearten anyone who's been on the show everyone's been lovely but you know, from what I've uh, from what I've gathered is most people like stick to a certain thing that they're good at and that's it. But you know, yeah. you're, you're kind of the first one, first person I've talked to who's like, I want to go beyond that.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I'm a trendsetter, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, but, but what is? <laughs> no, you know, it just keeps it keeps life interesting. It really does, and. Um, and I'm, I, if I can step into an area where I'm learning a new skill and I'm finding some competence at it, uh, then I, I want to grow in that area. I think that's kind of fun. I think it's kind of cool. I think it also helps that I'm a, uh, that I, I'm uh, a consumer of, of certain dubbed projects as well. So there are animes that I've watched that I enjoy and, and the more that I understand them, the more, the more meaningful it is to work in them to help tell those stories. So, you know, for whatever it's worth, I, I, I don't mind branching out. Now, if you wanted me to, you know, take up knitting or basket weaving or something, I might sound a little different, but we're still talking about voiceover. So it's all good to me.
0: Uh, and, and do you, and I mean, because it's, it's, you know, very rarely do, do, do you actually, you know, when, if you listen to uh dubbed anime in English, very rarely do you, do, do, do you, um, do do you hear really amazing performances and that and that's that's not just me discrediting the actors but but I'm saying like I think that's the case because because of like it's it's a different process and not a lot of people you know going into that adapt really well to that to that process where you know you have to walk in into a blank room and you have to you know there's these beeps and you got to match the lip flaps and you only got X amount of seconds to do it—it's it's a nightmare.
1: <laughs> it it really is. It's a specialized skill. Um, I, I would say that that I've certainly seen some anime, and I, I I can't on and this is me being honest. I can't honestly think of anything off the top of my head that peers of mine have been involved in that I thought was you know stunk up the room. But I have seen some of some of that, especially when I was growing up, and it was a different industry back then um, where where it was kind of a train wreck and really the only people who'd stick with it are kids because they didn't care as much. Um, and I will also say that the people who are really good at, at doing the dubs uh, these days uh, are really good at doing the dubs. Uh, not to make a circular statement, but just to say that there, there is credibility there. I will say that I like to, I enjoy watching Uh, anime, some of them I watch subtitled, some of them I watch dubbed, uh, and there are, there are moments that there are aspects to each that, uh, bring their own benefit to the table. But when, but when everything is coming together, like I'm thinking of Full Metal, Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, uh, which I watched, uh, fairly recently within the last year or so. And the performances in that, I think there was mostly when it was done at the time where it was being done out of Funimation in Texas, and so it was all the Texas dubbing actors that were out there. Uh, but they were also um, the cast included folks who I ended up working with. I mean, Travis Willingham's in it, and so is uh, Laura Bailey and um, and some other folks, but uh, who then ended up out here in Los Angeles and doing doing more prelay stuff. But the the point I'm bringing uh, the point I'm bringing up is I, I specifically watched the dub of of that of that particular series because I felt like the performances enhanced the production. I was able to enjoy it. I was able to enjoy it more, not have to worry about reading, making sure I was reading while I was watching, and you know all of that stuff that comes with watching a subtitle. It, the performances were just brilliant. Everybody was on point, and it it was compelling writing as well. So I think. I think there are, there are times that you know those dubbed performances can be magnificent, and like you said, there are those shows I'm, that are just that just stink up the room too. <laughs> and part of it is, I think, akin to what your guess was, and that is, it's a really hard thing to do. You can't just throw somebody in a booth and say dub this and expect it to be good. Um, but also. Just like, just like any of the shows that are produced here, uh, it, it depends on what the, who the audience is, whether it's a show for little kids or school age children or maturing kids or adults, um, depends on how good the writers are, depends on how much world building has gone into the development of each series. There's so many factors that make, that make all entertainment, uh, properties, you know, stinkaroos or box office hits.
0: Yeah, I mean it depends on who's because i I'm um, like you know if it's this company, you know there's a fifty fifty chance it either can be good or really terrible, but if it's this company, I know it's gonna be good, you know <laughs> mm. i mean, because, you know from personal experience from like the dubbed animes I've watched they're released by you know viz they're they're perfect like when when it comes to that when it comes to to dubbing I think the one one punch man dub is just phenomenal sure one of the best dubs ever so yeah,
1: just... Max Middleman is in that <laughs> as well as uh, Zachary or Zach Aguilar yeah both of those guys I've worked with
0: yeah <laughs> so uh, uh, I think we're about that time to, to wrap it up but so my final question is what is your advice to anyone who wants to get into this business
1: hmm focus on the acting first Uh, I specifically use the the term voice acting rather than voiceover because it's not voiceover. It's acting, and it's acting and and conveying everything through your vocal performance. Know know what what characters you cover the most easily. Uh, All of our voice prints cover somebody or something. Specifically in terms of archetypes, you are rarely going to be both, you know, naturally be both the villain and the young lead. Uh, Though there are people who can do that there, it requires a certain amount of modulation. Uh, But no, beyond what you can make your voice do, uh, what your voice naturally covers, those kinds of things will help you navigate your way because it's a it's. It's a completely different environment now than when I got started because the marketplace is flooded with people who want to do this for a living. And not only that, um, there's a lot of opportunity out there, and the pay structure is different than it used to be. It used to be 50 people in Hollywood did all the cartoons that you watched on television, at least in in Western culture in the U.S. and and immediately beyond, but now – there's 500, a thousand people vying for those same jobs, um, and the, the areas of distribution. You're not you're not making cartoons for syndication after school hours, you know, during the weekday and, and on Saturday mornings until 11, till sports come on. You're making cartoons on a 24 hour cycle for streaming services and for, um, you know, uh, for new media. So. So it's important to understand what's going on out there and, and the only way that you can really compete in that world is uh is to is to be a really good actor. Uh because I'll I'll tell you what, there are there are people out there that are that were working pros ten years ago, twenty years ago, and they're not booking as much anymore, and they're the best at what they do. So when if you'd really like to do voice acting, um be a student of acting in general. Because the better you are, the more you can compete, and that's really at the end of the day what it boils down to.
0: Plus, it, it, does, it, 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 uh, it doesn't hurt to have experience before coming in, like having, you know, theater stuff or. You
1: know. Of course, of course, yeah. Most of the successful voice actors I know of. Specifically, came from a theater background, not even an on camera though some have done and continue to do on camera uh, and not that somebody couldn't cross over from on camera to voiceover but the 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 through line I have seen on some of my favorite performers that I think are the best in the business is they all came from Doing community theater, high school theater, college theater—they they might have a degree in theater, though not everybody for sure. But they all have a background in it. Some sort of stage performing in front of a live audience and character work really translates well to being an animation actor.
0: Well, I mean, unless you know, there are some exceptions, obviously, but well, of course. A lot. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we we ha- we had Sissy Jones on the show, and you know, her story is completely different from you know, she came from no acting experience into into the voiceover business and she made a huge name for herself. So
1: I she know. really has and she's yeah. done a great job. Yeah. But she's done that by growing as an actress. Yeah. Uh, and by being a student of her of her craft, and I don't mean the craft, <laughs> I don't mean to elevate voice acting to more than just a job, because really it's just a job, but it does require a certain set of skills. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, Sissy, Sissy Jones is a remarkable actress and has gotten better over the years as she's worked on her skills. Um, she's one of my favorite actresses of all times of all time, I should say. Uh, so the fact that she did come from a non-acting background is, is the exception to the rule for, for sure, but make no mistake. She has worked her bottom off in order to be competitive and stay competitive with the best in this business, which is why she's made a name for herself.
0: Also, another thing to, 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 to keep in mind, I think that not a lot of people mention this, but I think it should be mentioned is if you don't make it now, don't, don't, uh, uh, don't, uh, don't, don't let it dwell on you. Don't, don't linger on it. Just keep pushing yourself forward and, and trust me. I've seen people who, who have, who, who went from doing, like, bottom of the barrel, like supporting roles to to major starring roles, and there is no there is no oh i i got to make it at this age because that's that's you know that's uh that's that's you know that's a bunch of baloney
1: It's true. Know. Yeah. I didn't move down to Hollywood till I was 30 and I didn't really book anything until I was about 35 or so. So you know that's 5 hard years in my mid 30s when everybody else has a mortgage and two kids and two cars and you know is working their way up the ladder and saving for retirement that I was sharing a house with guys and you know trying to do the hustle on the street to to make the entertainment career happen um, I think I think it does help if you are younger because Hollywood tends to be a younger a youth driven culture but to your point if you don't make it right away um, that doesn't mean you, you should quit in fact what I would say is it, it becomes a the game of attrition you've got to win the war of attrition and what that means is, You know, at some point, everybody's going to give up and start leaving. And you want to be the last person to give up. So, you know, if we want to put it in terms of being on a really, you know, cruddy JD Roth reality TV show, if we're all hanging, if we're all in a contest on Survivor or something or on Biggest Loser and we're all hanging from a bar above a pool, you want to do your damnedest to be the last one hanging on that bar because that's the person who's going to win that challenge. You want to win the challenge by not giving up that tenacity. When everybody else is going home, you know, there's a turnover of, of a million people a year in Los Angeles, which is where most animation acting happens. Not all, but most. Um, and, and so there's a a million people at any given time coming into LA to pursue the entertainment industry and, or leaving LA to pursue the entertainment industry. And if you can keep from being one of those one million each year, you're winning. You're already succeeding. Now, what I will also say to temper that statement is that not everybody who just has determination should even be a voice actor. It's one thing if I'm a music lover, but I'm tone deaf. If I love music and I want to be a singer uh, and I'm completely tone deaf or if I want to play an instrument and I'm completely tone deaf, can't carry a tune in a bucket, then as much as I enjoy that, being a fan of it and just being tenacious is not enough to get me to a level where I can do that for a living that's not to say I couldn't continue to do that for a hobby or get better or sharpen my skills totally could do that and don't end up on the boulevard of broken dreams if you don't have to does that make sense
0: yeah I mean that's that's another thing you know people because I see people on Twitter constantly these young upcoming act, you know, voice actors who want to get into it, get into it or like oh I didn't get this I didn't get that my life is over and I'm like Dude, cheer up!
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I and like I said, it's it's really not the career for for everybody. And not to be a not to be a downer, Abdullah, but I have told people on several occasions, <laughs> as a coach, I've said, you know, if you if you can be happy doing anything else, and I mean anything else for a living, uh, go be happy and do this as a hobby or do this as, you know, something that you're a fan of on the side. But this is a really hard career that has a lot of, a lot of trials and a lot of pitfalls in front of it that you'd have to navigate. And if and if it literally isn't something that you have to do to be happy, uh, then there's no reason to, to engage in it. Uh, because it's so difficult, the cost is so high. Um, but for those of us for whom it is, you know, part of our irreducible minimum, there's no, there's no, there's no other way. And, and when there's no other way, the only way to win that is through the game of attrition. You've got to keep hanging on when everybody else falls away and goes home.
0: And finally, uh, where can people find you online?
1: dot thehiddenfrequencies.com. I'm on Instagram at, at mcwingert I'm at uh I'm on Twitter at, at mcwingert as well. Um and uh and yeah, you can contact me through the website mcwingert.com as I've said. So I'm I'm there, I'm available. I'm tweeting um and uh I'm Instagramming and I'd love to hear from anybody any of your listeners to, you know, who heard this this episode.
0: So, thank you very much for coming
1: on the show. It means a lot. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much, Abdullah. It's been a pleasure being your guest.
0: And and again, you know, if you want to come back in, on any time, you're always welcome.
1: Oh, uh, thanks. All right. Bye.